Happy Friday, everybody. It is Friday, September 9th, 2022. This is the Second Half Podcast. I'm Tom Powell, and as always, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. Now, as soon as I get done saying that, I usually give you a reason why you should go get yourself some margaritas this particular week. Hey, it's, it's a holiday weekend. Hey, it's so-and-so's birthday. Hey, it, it's the first day of spring. Hey, whatever. I give you some reason why you should go get margaritas. Like, you need a fucking reason to go get a pitcher of margaritas, right? Well, here's this week's reason. I will say this calmly as to not blow your eardrums out, but football is back, bitches. Yeah, yeah. That's right, it's back. So you're hearing this podcast for the first time on Friday, September 9th, but I'm actually recording this podcast. Uh, It is currently 10.43 a.m. on Thursday, September 8th. I record it the day before, usually, and and that's when I'm recording this. So um, football's actually going to begin tonight with Bills v. Rams, Um, but you're not going to hear it until tomorrow when the Bills-Rams game is already done which is why I don't pick Thursday football, but we're going to get into that in just a moment. First things first, a little bit of housekeeping, as I do every week for the people that are new to the podcast. If you're finding me for the very first time, if this is the first time you're listening to my podcast, if you have absolutely no fucking clue what's going on over here, uh, uh, what I'm all about, what this podcast is, a couple of things you need to remember. One, this is an amateur podcast. It's done in my home office. You know, I'm, 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 I'm operating off of a five-year-old laptop and a hundred-dollar mic from Amazon. It's not a professional operation. You know what I mean? Um, so you're going to hear some background noise. You're, you're going to hear some things. Uh, the, the dogs bark, the fan in the window. I'm, I'm going to lean back and burp or blow my nose. Just roll with it, okay? It's not supposed to be some finished, polished product. It's not done in a studio. I don't have a producer. It's just me. Sorry to disappoint. Uh, number two, if you're finding me for the very first time, uh, chances are you don't know anything about my website. So if you have a chance uh, to swing by the website, please do. It's oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. There you're going to find links uh, to follow me on the various social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all Clapper, all of that. I think you even have my, my LinkedIn account on there. TikTok, of course. You're going to find a link to my store. I have over 400 items to choose from. T-shirts and hoodies and phone cases and magnets and buttons and stickers and wine tumblers and Christmas ornaments and fucking coasters and you name it. You're going to find a link on where you can uh, book me on Cameo. If you want to uh, do a video shout-out to somebody, wish them a happy birthday, tell them congratulations uh, on the promotion, or just, you know, tell them their football team sucks ass. I can do that for you over on Cameo. You're going to find a link on where you can buy my first two books. That's right, I write books too. I'm into all kinds of shit. I have two self-published books. They are entitled A Grateful Life, The Life Story of a Husband, Father, and Taco-Loving Deadhead, and Dearest Renee, Letters from the Coronavirus War of 2020, both available in paperback or ebook formats. And last but not least, you're going to find a link on where you can subscribe to my Patreon subscription service. 
if you like this podcast, which I do every Friday and is free, uh, you might like the bonus podcast episodes I do every other week over on Patreon that can only be heard on Patreon. And the cost for that is $4.20 a month. $4.20 a month, and you get uh, Patreon-only podcast episodes. Over there, it's non-political conversation, and I end every Patreon episode with uh, a different story from my own personal past. So, uh, once again, all of that can be found at oldhippymedia.com, but I'm going to stop talking about it now because I don't like to turn this podcast into a giant advertisement for myself. i got to pimp myself a little bit because if you don't pimp yourself, nobody's going to pimp you. But that's not why you tune in here. You tune in here for some fucked up reason to hear me talk about news but ladies and gentlemen before we get to the news we begin with the first football segment of the new season (laughs) my wife is screaming at her radio right now or her phone her computer whatever she's listening at this is the part of the podcast she doesn't particularly care for she tufts it out because she loves me despite the fact that I'm a dumb fuck. Um, so, sorry, hon, but we're back into the football season, and it's time to do some official picks, okay? So, uh, if you're new to the podcast, I give you who I think are going to be the division winners and the wild card winners here on the first episode, uh, the first week of the uh, first episode of the first week of the new season. My apologies. And then each week I give you who I think the winners are going to be. I do not pick the Thursday games because even though I record on Thursday morning, most days, before the Thursday game happens, the podcast doesn't air until Friday. So we just don't pick the Thursday game as to not try to seem inappropriate with my picks. Oh, no, he really recorded it on Friday morning. He already knew who the winners were. So just fuck it. We just don't do the Thursday picks, okay? So uh, in the past, I have done not so bad with my picks, but last year I stunk on ice. I mean, I fucking sucked out loud. So you take these picks with a massive grain of salt, and you do with them what you will. But remember, whatever you do with them is of your own volition. I'm just over here running my mouth. And if you take football advice and go bet on it from a stranger online, well, then you're a fucking idiot. No offense. So, without further ado, let's get into who I think the division winners are going to be. So, over in the AFC, I think, obviously, the Bills are going to take the East. I don't see the Patriots having enough to overtake the Bills, and the rest of the East is basically the Sisters of the Poor. That's the Bills' division to lose for the foreseeable future. In the AFC North... I think you got to go with the uh, the reigning champs. I think you got to go with the Bengals. I mean, it's a, still a tough division. Don't get me wrong, but the Bengals are going to take that division. And if they don't, they will have had an epic, monumental meltdown somewhere along the season. In what I think is going to be and is the most stacked division. In all of football, the AFC West, I think the Chiefs come out on top. And that is a stacked division. 
a, an extremely stacked division. It, the Chiefs are going to have to battle their way to the division title this year, but I think they wind up coming out on top. And in the AFC South, I think my team, the Indianapolis Colts, once again retake the division that they owned for well over a decade. I haven't been very excited about Colts football the last couple of years, but boys and girls, they went out and got, himself, got themselves Matty Ice, and that's a whole different ballgame. Is he at the end of his career? Yes. Did he once cough up one of the biggest Super Bowl leads in Super Bowl history? Yes. But he is still one of the top-flight quarterbacks in the NFL, probably one of the most accurate passers in the history of the league, and a change of scenery is just what that, what that uh, young man might need in order to get himself over the top. Uh, just look at what happened to Matt Stafford when he got the fuck out of Detroit. This could be a very exciting Colts year, and I think that they take the South again. In the NFC, uh, in what's probably one of the weakest divisions in, in, in all of football, the NFC East, I got the Philadelphia Eagles winning that division, but who the fuck knows? That is a putrid division in my opinion. The NFC North is going to continue to be owned by the uh, Green Bay Packers. I know that there are going to be some people out there that are going to go, no, 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 this is the Minnesota Vikings year. And the, the Bears loyalists are still going to say that the Bears are going to win the division. But let me tell you something. The Bears aren't any closer to winning the division than I am to running a fucking 10K today. And the Minnesota Vikings, they might give the Packers a little bit of a run for their money, but I believe it's going to be the Packers that come out on top at the end. In the NFC South... It's the Bucks to lose, period. I mean, it, you look up and down the NFC South and you take a look at the teams that are that are in that division, and you tell me who's going to give the Bucks a run for their money in that division. I don't see it happening for many of those teams. And out in the NFC West, the Rams prevail yet again. I, I think the Rams might actually wind up going back to the Super Bowl. I don't give you Super Bowl picks at the beginning of the season, but I think that the Rams have a, have a good chance of going to the Super Bowl. As a matter of fact, I think tonight's... Uh, Thursday night matchup, the Rams v. Bills could be a Super Bowl preview. My wild card predictions are, now remember, we now have three wild cards from each conference now. They changed the format. It's not just two, it's now three. I think the NFC will see the Titans uh, make a wild card spot from the, N- or from, the, from the AFC South. And then the rest of the uh, wild card is going to be dominated by the most stacked uh, division in all of football, and that's going to be the AFC West. I think that the Raiders and Chargers are the uh, the other two wild cards that come out of the AFC. So Titans, Raiders, and Chargers are going to be your AFC wild card uh, teams. In the uh, NFC, I think it's going to be the 49ers making a wild card spot out of the West. The Vikings making a wild card spot out of the North, and the Panthers making a wild card a wild card spot out of the South. And yeah, you can rub your your ears and, and try to clean the gunk out of them all day long. I said the fucking Panthers, and I'm sticking by it. I'm sticking by. It. So let me recap that for you, so that you have the general. You can go back and visit this at the end of the year. You can stick a note somewhere, and see how I did. Division winners. NFC, Eagles, Packers, Bucks, and Rams. Wild card in the NFC, 49ers, Vikings, Panthers. Division winners in the AFC, Bills, Bengals, Colts, and Chiefs. 
with the wild card going to the Titans, the Raiders, and the Chargers. Book it for your picks sure to go wrong. Speaking of picks sure to go wrong, let's quickly give you the week one winners as I see them. Once again, we omit the Thursday games. I've already picked over on my Patreon podcast. I already picked the Rams to win that game. We'll see how it goes tonight. Uh, but we don't put them in the official Friday picks, so they're not counted in the overall annual tally. Here's who I think week one winners will be with the exception of the Thursday game. The Saints, Panthers, 49ers, Bengals, Eagles, Colts, Patriots, Ravens, Commanders, Titans, Chiefs, Chargers, Packers, Bucks, and I'm going to take the Broncos to beat the Seahawks on Monday Night Football in Russell Wilson's return to Seattle. I just think the Broncos are going to have a little bit too much for uh, Russell Wilson's old team, even though it is in Seattle. That also gives Russell Wilson a nice advantage, too, ladies and gentlemen. He's very used to playing in that stadium. So there you have it, folks. Your week one winners, my division winners, my wild card picks. Let's see how they look at the end of the year and at the end of this first week. And that's enough football for week one. Uh, now, as I say, uh, I, as I said, I apologize, I'm recording this on Thursday morning. It is currently 10.55 a.m. Thursday morning. And I'm going to go to Twitter right now to make sure I have the latest uh, news and nothing has changed. Okay, so we have a developing story coming to us from England where the Queen has been hospitalized and the uh, members of the royal family have rushed to be by her side. Now, as of the time I'm recording this, 10.56 a.m. on Thursday, September 8th, she is still alive. But it does sound like, based on all reports, that she may not be long for the world. Now, I, I talk a lot of politics, so I, I want to talk about this from a political standpoint. For, from a standpoint of royal family adoration, where people get hooked on the royal family weddings and the births and the this and the that, the, the, the TMZ side of the royal family, I could give a fuck. I could give a fuck about all of that. But this has political implications. This has global implications. I mean, think about this for a moment, okay? She has served on the throne for so long, okay, that the last time there was a different monarch sitting on the throne in England, my father was seven years old. Yeah. Seven. My father's been dead for seven years and he died at the age of 72. She has sat on the throne for seven decades. I am a half a century old and I've never known a world where she wasn't the Queen of England. So, given the fact that it does appear as if she is going to pass at some point in the immediate future. From a political conversation standpoint, the next thing to happen is one of her grandsons gets moved up to king. No, it's not going to be Charles. That deal was already cut when he got a divorce. It's going to be his oldest boy. 
the world has not known in England without the Queen for that long that this is going to this is going to be a shock to the system. From a personal standpoint, while I don't really give a fuck about the drama and the bullshit that that is accompanied or that accompanies the royal family in general, I do want to say I don't wish this shit on anybody. Um, I've taken my fair share of trips, long and short, to be by the side of a dying uh, elder in the family. It's not fun. It's The people in that room are not thinking about the politics uh, of this at the moment. They're thinking about a loved one that they're getting ready to lose, apparently. And uh, it sucks. It sucks. She has been an extraordinarily influential uh, world leader. She's met with, I believe, the last 15 U.S. presidents. I think that's the number. You're going to hear a lot about it in the coming days and weeks. By the time you hear this podcast, she may have already passed. So I do offer my condolences to the royal family. I, I, I never want to see anybody go through that. Uh, but I I am very interested to see what the, the geopolitical ripple effect of this ends up being. Now, we got... <laughs> We had an odd week. Usually in, in, in the week of news, you get a mixture of different kinds of odd political news, but it is heavy in Trumplandia this week. Heavy in Trumplandia. I mean, we're going to start with the fact that Trump held a rally in Pennsylvania this week, and we need to discuss the obvious monkey uh, uh, or elephant in the room, monkey in the room. Who the, who the fuck has a monkey in the room? Hey, we need to discuss the monkey in the room. No, that just doesn't work. The elephant in the room. And that would be Trump losing it. <laughs> I mean, he's been losing it for some time, but at his rally this week in Pennsylvania, this week, not two years ago, not three years ago, not four years ago. This week, almost two years after the election that he lost, he stood on a stage in Pennsylvania and told his cult followers that Zuckerberg, the head of Facebook, came to visit him at the White House a week ago. No, that's not a joke. I'm not trying to be facetious. He actually said that at a rally in Pennsylvania this week. Now, I can't tell if he's just really bad at trying to make jokes, and that was his attempt to make a joke, or if he actually believes that he's still the president, or if he actually calls Mar-a-Lago the White House, but whatever it is, he's fucking lost it. Republicans. 
sorry, Trumpers. Because as we know, not all Republicans are Trumpers. Trumpers. Are you honestly going to continue to take the social media and talk about Joe Biden? A man who has now given you coherent speeches, who is uh, coming out of meetings with anti-Biden Republicans from Congress who tell you he's the same Joe Biden that we dealt with 10, 15, 20 years ago. Are you really going to talk about that gentleman and his loss of cognitive abilities while we have Trump running around thinking he's at the White House? Thinking that he's having meetings at the White House. And of course, it was typical Trump bullshit, right? Zuckerberg came to the quote-unquote White House to tell him he was number one on Facebook. Really? Donald Trump is number one on an app he's not allowed to be on. Somebody needs to be keeping an eye on this guy. Not letting him have rallies and try to run for president again. He's fucking lost it. I mean, this guy is sitting down at Mar-a-Lago thinking it's the goddamn White House with his collection of classified documents and imaginary White House visitors. Now, speaking of those documents that were uh, seized by the FBI when they served a warrant at Mar-a-Lago, you might have heard by now that a special master has been appointed to review the items taken. So I'd like to touch on what that means for just a moment. So first, what is a special master? A special master is a third-party independent uh, entity that's appointed to look at all of the evidence that's seized in an FBI uh, search warrant, uh, the issuance of an FBI search warrant, the execution of an FBI search warrant. They take evidence. Um, the person they took the evidence from believes that there might be something in there that is of attorney-client privilege. And so a special master is appointed to review all of it to see if any of it does fall under attorney-client privilege. A couple of things about this. One, I, I'm not too worried about this because this happens quite frequently. Usually it happens when uh, a bunch of evidence is taken from a lawyer's office in regards to an FBI investigation into one of their clients. A special master is then usually appointed to review that evidence as to not turn over to the FBI anything that might be deemed uh, attorney-client privilege. But in this case in particular, and that's what Trump is trying to, to do, allegedly. I think he's just trying to stall for time. He's trying to allegedly determine if any of that was attorney-client privilege and get it away from the FBI by, by means of a special master. Here's where he's going to fall short. Here's where he's not going to get what he wants. He's hoping that a pro-Trump person is going to be appointed the special master, and that person is just going to be able to uh, give Trump anything he wants out of that collection of evidence, whether it be attorney-client privilege uh, related or not. But he's not going to get that. <clears throat> and why is he not going to get that? Because the evidence that was taken from Trump's home is of such high confidentiality 
such a high level of classification that the FBI agents that executed the search warrant were not permitted to look at it. They had to go get FBI agents with higher security clearance to look at these documents. Our nation's secrets are in there. So whoever is picked as the special master has to have such high security clearance that it would almost necessitate that they come with a certain level of moral fortitude. We're talking former presidents, former cabinet-level members, people of very high uh, standing in our government. (coughs) Excuse me. So the chances that you're going to get somebody like that that's sympathetic to Trump's cause are slim and none. Remember, most of the people that had security clearances in the Trump administration don't have them anymore because they were never supposed to have them to begin with. They were handing out security clearances like they were handing out Halloween candy. So I'm not worried about that. Uh, this is just a stall tactic. And that's all that's going to happen. Is it's, gonna, it's just going to delay the inevitable. A special master will go through that. The FBI will get the rest of the evidence. Uh, They will develop the rest of their case. They will indict Donald Trump on something related to the uh, Presidential Records Act, to the the taking of uh, government secrets. Remember, once again, boys and girls, he didn't declassify everything because he didn't take the steps needed to declassify everything. So no, it's not declassified material. And even if it was declassified material, it is still illegal to have government secrets, even if they're declassified, outside of a secure federal building. No matter how you slice it, he's looking at federal charges. Period. The world is watching the Department of Justice now. There is no fucking way they cannot indict Trump now. So, we now await for a special master to actually be named, appointed, and then do their uh, do their due diligence of going through the uh, the documents and the boxes that were taken, so we can get back on with indicting the most corrupt president in the history of the United States of America. <coughs> now, as far as those documents go, we have now learned that Trump had a foreign nation's nuclear secrets mixed in among them. <coughs> It is unbelievable what this man thought he could get away with. Hang on a second. I got a frog in my throat. (coughs) Damn. How lovely for the frog, they said. I read to you from Insider. Highly confidential details about a foreign government's nuclear capabilities were among some of the documents that were seized by the FBI from former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home earlier in August, according to a new report from the Washington Post, which cited several unnamed sources familiar with the search. Prior to the raid, Trump's team returned some documents that belonged to the government to the National Archives, more than 180 of which were later later found to be marked classified. But the FBI raid turned over more White House files, including about 26 boxes, and 11 sets of classified material. 
It was during the August 8th search that federal investigators found documents about a foreign government's nuclear defense capabilities, several anonymous sources familiar with the investigation told the Post. Details about which foreign government was in question and where Trump may have stored the documents were not revealed. The spokesperson for Trump did not immediately respond to a request for comment. On Monday, a federal judge in Florida approved Trump's request for a court-appointed third party to review the files that were seized from Mar-a-Lago. That's the story I just told you about a moment ago. The Justice Justice Department has argued that having a special master would impede its investigation and that the agency has its own filter team to identify any privileged documents. Now, we've already discussed the special master and why I'm not worried about that. We'll see how that whole thing unfolds. What in the world would be anybody's excuse to justify any foreign president, and I do mean any, not foreign president, former president, from having those documents. I, I would be pissed if Obama had them. And I trust Obama as a former president infinitely more than I trust Trump as a former president. So I know that there has to be some Trumpers listening to this podcast. The numbers keep going up every week. And thank you for that. We had 4,300 downloads last week. Thank you very much. Keep that shit going. Keep telling your friends. We're going to get this podcast picked up. Trust me. Just it, We just got to keep going. You got to keep shooting those numbers north. <clears throat> but if you're a Trumpy that's listening to this, tell me, give me the reason. Give me the excuse as to why you're okay with any foreign president having a foreign nation's nuclear defense secrets in their home unsecure. And don't give me this shit about a padlock on a fucking safe. I could fucking hack into a padlock on a goddamn safe and I'm not even a foreign agent. You can call my podcast and leave a voicemail that I can play the audio version of on my podcast. Call and leave a voicemail and tell me what it is you think is justification for a former president having this kind of uh, this kind of uh, uh, information essentially lying around. There have been spies caught in Mar-a-Lago this fucking year. They hosted the Saudi royal family. There is no justification, just so that you're, you're aware of what the correct answer is. There is no justification for a former president having this kind of information other than, and it's not justification, it's, the, it's only a reason, other than their desire to sell said information. Now, there is one other possibility here, and, and, and it's a very valid possibility not a good reason why he has them by any stretch of the imagination he's it's still illegal for him to have them but uh, one that you can see being the reason that uh, he would take them and that's so he could brag to people about look what i got they don't just let anybody have this you know i got nuclear secrets from around the world because you know with everything in trump's world it's all a dick measuring contest because in an actual dick measuring contest, he loses every time. He loses every time. So this is a way of him to show people uh, how 
tough he is, how important he is. Look, you're coming here to my resort to visit me, and look what I got. Still doesn't make it legal. Still doesn't mean he's not going to get indicted for it. But I could see that being the reason why this dumb fuck took this information. I got to wonder if he even knows what most of this information means. And I'm being serious when I say that. The guy never paid attention to his presidential daily briefings. <clears throat> he didn't like to read anything. They had to basically, basically bring in visual aids to give him the highlight points. So I honestly wonder if he was reading any of this information, if he could actually decipher what any of it actually fucking meant. But he's the one that's got to face the charges associated with that. The Trumpers are going to continue to make excuses for him all the way up to his trial and conviction. Uh, And then it'll all be because of a crooked DOJ or some other bullshit. We move on, ladies and gentlemen. We move on. We move on to other news from Trumplandia, <clears throat> where Steve Bannon, human version of a hair that grows from an ass boil, turned himself into uh, New York authorities today to be indicted in his scam to bilk Trump supporters out of money to pay for a border wall that never got built. I now read to you from NBC News. Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon arrived in court in New York on Thursday to face fresh charges related to a charity that was supposed to use private funds to build the U.S.-Mexico border wall. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office said on Thursday that he and New York Attorney General Letitia James would hold a news conference on the charges and that Bannon would be arraigned in the afternoon. So, once again, by the time you hear this podcast, all of this will have already happened. At 11.16 a.m. on Thursday, September 8th, all we know so far is that he's turned himself in and said press conference has yet to happen. Bannon was hit with charges related to the same scheme by federal prosecutors in August of 2020. He pleaded not guilty and was later pardoned by then-President Donald Trump. In a statement to NBC News on Tuesday... Bannon said, quote, this is nothing more than a partisan political weaponization of the criminal justice system, end quote. NBC News reported in February of 2021 that the district attorney's office had opened an investigation into Bannon's involvement in the alleged scam a month after Trump pardoned him. Presidential pardons only apply to federal cases, meaning New York is not prohibited from pursuing similar charges. The federal case alleged that Bannon was one of four people who, quote, orchestrated a scheme to defraud hundreds of thousands of donors out of more than $25 million through an online crowdfunding campaign called We Build the Wall. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is an assload of money. Hundreds of thousands of Trump supporters donated $25 million so that Steve Bannon could be rich. Bannon had used a separate nonprofit organization under his control to receive more than a million dollars of wall-building funds, federal authorities said. Two of his co-defendants, Brian Coughledge and Andrew Badalato, I hope I said those names correctly, pleaded guilty in April and are scheduled to be sentenced in December. 
The trial for the third co-defendant, Timothy Shea, ended in a mistrial in June when the jury deadlocked, couldn't reach a verdict. <clears throat> Shea is scheduled to be retried in October. Bannon is also awaiting sentencing after being convicted of misdemeanor contempt of Congress charges for snubbing, uh, snubbing subpoenas from the House Committee investigating the January 6th riot at the Capitol. He faces up to a year in jail and up to $100,000 in fines for that conviction. So, Trumpies, I know a few of you are listening. <clears throat> How do you guys feel about constantly being bilked out of your money by these assholes? How does it feel to constantly support the grift against you? Listen, I'm no fool. I'm not sitting here saying these politicians care about you and these politicians don't care about you. These people care about you. and They don't give a fuck about you. None of them do. But only some of them are trying to bilk you out of your money like this. You fucking idiots coughed up 25 million of your hard-earned dollars for nothing. Absolutely nothing. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel to know Steve Bannon lived the high life by lying to you to get your money? You fucking people are like the momos that keep sending in seed money to some pastor who says, if you send me $1,000 this week, I will seed that money. And in a year's time, 100000 shall befall you, befall you back uh, in your direction. They're snake oil salesmen. They are selling you nothing and you are digging into your wallet to cough up your money. You fucking morons. I'm sorry. I can't be nice about this. I can't be political about this. I can't be, be politically correct. I can't be, uh, what do they call us, the, uh, the, uh, the tolerant left. You're fucking idiots. Oh, please, Mr. Rich Man, take some more of my money to do absolutely nothing with it. You would have been better served if Steve Bannon came to your front door, rang your doorbell, and when you opened the door, he said, drop him and bend over and proceeded to fuck you in the ass. At least you'd have fucking gotten something out of it. It's one thing to support a politician. It's one thing to give to his campaign a few bucks and maybe buy a lawn sign for your lawn. These guys are grifting you out of your hard-earned money. Remember, every dime that you have, you got by trading your time for. Time you can't ever get back. Lost time. And you're just 
voluntarily turning this money over to known grifters. It's time to wake up, man. It's time to wake up and smell the fucking coffee. You are being played. Tom, take a hit. Calm the fuck down. Don't mind if I do. Strange voice in the distance. That's nice. This 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 is very nice. Oh, I like it a lot. Now for some news regarding the 2020 election directly. A Michigan voting machine has recently turned up for sale on eBay. And somebody's got some fucking splaining to do. I now read to you from NPR. Harry Hursty has bought a 200... Uh, my apologies. My notes are fucked. Let me start that over again, shall we? Okay. I read to you now from NPR. Harry Hursty has bought about 200 used voting machines without incident. But the one he purchased on eBay last month is now the subject of a state investigation with Michigan officials determined to find out how the device ended up for sale online. Quote, we are actively working with law enforcement to investigate allegations of an illegal attempt to sell a voter assist terminal acquired in Michigan. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who is up for re-election in November, announced in a statement last week. In an additional tweet, Benson noticed, noted that the voting machine was originally from Wexford County and clarified that it was not used to tabulate ballots. The Dominion-made apparatuses were built to function as voting machines or ballot printing devices. In Michigan, they were used to print voter ballots. The U.S. Election Assistance Commission says voting machines should be meticulously inventoried and kept under lock and key, quote, in a tamper-proof location, preferably within the election office, end quote. Hursty is a cybersecurity expert who is often contracted by state-level election officials to test vulnerabilities in voting machines. That's why he bought the Dominion ImageCast X machine as soon as he saw it online, he told NPR during a phone interview. Quote, I've never taken a look inside of one of those, he said with some excitement to his voice. He forked over $1,200 in an effort to clarify any lingering questions about the ImageCast X's uh, providence, he sent an email to Michigan's Secretary of State office alerting them to the deal. Wanted to let them know what he had found. It's something he does whenever he buys a device online. He, he explained in that phone interview. It's a good thing that he did. Quote, they didn't know a device was missing until they started looking to see if there's a missing machine, Hursty said. Quote, they really had no idea, and this is one of the biggest dangers to election security. As of Wednesday, the machine is still in the same unopened box it arrived in nearly two weeks ago. Hursty said he is waiting on the FBI or some other law enforcement agency to pick up the 2020 device from his home in Connecticut. Quote, I'm waiting to find out if it was stolen 
that would make the sale illegal or maybe not. If it was not, then the machine is mine and I can get started. What he means by getting started, he uh, analyzes these machines. He looks for weaknesses, as was sort of mentioned earlier. <clears throat> CNN has reported that the eBay seller, Ian Hutchinson, who lives in Ohio, found the Dominion-made machine on a Michigan Goodwill website for $7.99. He snapped it up and then immediately put it for sale on eBay. Hutchinson did not respond to the NPR's request for comment. In the post on eBay, Hutchinson stated the device had been used in, quote, the most recent Michigan elections, end quote. Meanwhile, Michigan is one of several swing states, including Georgia and Colorado, where officials have launched investigations into possible election tampering or interference by Donald Trump supporters who hope to subvert the 2020 election. In nearly all cases, the election deniers claims they are searching for evidence of voter fraud have proven to be false. For Hursty, one of the greatest threats to voting devices is not necessarily hacking, but human incompetence. The 54-year-old is an expert in the field. He's been featured in two documentaries, Kill Chain and the Emmy-nominated film Hacking Democracy that pulled the curtain back on the U.S. election system. Both offer an unnerving glimpse into the weakness of today's election technology. He said he's seen instances where election officials or polling place volunteers inadvertently mishandle devices or do not follow security protocols. Quote, they just don't have the proper training, he said. In other cases, people simply fail to track, uh, keep track of the machines. Quote, they leave them behind someplace and just totally ignore them, he said, adding that there's one instance in which an election device was left behind at a hotel for more than a year. Unfucking believable. Unfucking believable. Quote, the hotel called and tried to tell them that they left it, but no one ever called them back. So they sold it, which is legal for them to do. <sighs> Folks, <clears throat> let me give you my nickel's worth of free analysis on this. <clears throat> one of the things that we have done <clears throat> as a country remarkably well is we have included every uh, everyday uh, not every but everyday ordinary American citizens in the election process right <clears throat> we, we have just regular old normal citizens as poll watchers as election judges uh, people that are helping folks cast their ballot count their ballots uh, track and store the machines in which the ballots are, are tabulated on. We include the general public so that everybody has an opportunity to be involved in the election of uh, their elected officials. But I think it's time that we start to look at that system maybe a little bit closer. Because some average everyday American citizens are people who justify shit like January 6th are people who are okay with overthrowing a free and fair election maybe we can't leave the security of our state level elections up to just any Joe Bob and Sally uh, Sally Mae 
somebody took this fucking machine after the 2020 election was held and dropped it off at a fucking Goodwill. Who then turned around and put it on their website and sold it online to somebody from Ohio who turned around and put it on eBay for sale. And oh, by the way, let's not overlook the fact that old boy made some fucking bank off that machine. Bought it for eight bucks, sold it for twelve hundred. But somebody's got some fucking explaining to do. Who had this machine? Why was it not properly secured? Why was it dropped off at a Goodwill? How did somebody allow it to even leave the building where it was at, let alone find its way into a whole other building somewhere else? I don't care who it is. Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Green Party, the Whig Party. I don't give a fuck who it is. Somebody needs to lose their fucking job. Post haste. You want to talk about securing our elections? Let's start with that right there. An election machine just turns up at fucking Goodwill. Michigan, get your shit together. God damn. Now, if I could, before we get to the the truly important story of the week, allow me to offer you a more upbeat and happier news story to kind of break up the monotony a little bit. The Obamas finally got to unveil their official White House portraits this week. I read to you now from CBS News. Former President Barack Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama returned to the White House on Wednesday for the former unveiling of their official White House portraits, revealing the paintings that will hang in the White House for years to come. President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden hosted the couple for what marked Michelle Obama's first visit to the White House since her husband left office in 2017. The former president visited the White House in April for a celebration of the anniversary of the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Quote, Barack and Michelle, welcome home, President Biden told the Obamas on Wednesday. It's great to be back, Obama said after their portraits were unveiled. Thank you so much for your hospitality. Thanks for letting us invite a few friends to the White House. We will try not to tear up the place, Obama said to, uh, to uh, Biden. Mr. Biden lauded his former boss, telling him that, quote, nothing could have prepared me better or more to become president of the United States than being at your side for eight years, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Artist Robert McCurdy painted the former president, and Sharon Sprung painted the former first lady. Quote, I want to thank Sharon Sprung for capturing everything I love about Michelle. Her grace, her intelligence, and the fact that she's fine, Obama said. The room kind of chuckled about that one. Michelle seemed a tad embarrassed. And as the, uh, the applause and laughter died down, 
Obama, uh, Barack Obama followed it up with, well, she is. And I want to thank Robert McCurdy for taking on a much more difficult subject and doing a fantastic job with mine, he said. The portrait of the former president depicts him in a black suit with a gray tie in the artist's signature photorealistic style. The portrait of Mrs. Obama's Mrs. Obama shows her in a blue dress seated on a red sofa in the red room. Her portrait also draws entirely upon photos Sprung took. Quote, for me, this day is not just about what happened, Mrs. Obama said. It is also about what could happen. Because a girl like me, she was never supposed to be up here next to Jacqueline Kennedy and Dolly Madison. She was never supposed to live in the White House. And she definitely wasn't supposed to serve as First Lady. In a video released by the Obama Foundation ahead of the unveiling, McCurdy said the marathon process took him about 18 months, while Sprung said she worked on nothing but Michelle Obama's portrait for eight to nine months. Both said they had the viewer in mind as they painted. Now, why did this just happen? Well, because the former president, uh, Trump, didn't want to have the uh, the uh, the Obamas in to do this. See, presidents typically host their predecessors to unveil their former po- uh, formal portraits. But former President Trump ended that tradition, declining to welcome the Obamas back to the White House during his tenure. The Obamas hosted former President George W. Bush and his wife Laura at the White House in 2012. Former presidents and first ladies typically have two official portraits completed upon leaving office. One set hangs in the National Portrait Gallery, while the other uh, enters the collection of the White House Historical Association to be displayed in the White House. The Obama's portraits for the National Portrait Gallery were completed in 2018. It is um, another example of the former president bucking all of our traditional norms. Uh, But thankfully, we now have a real president in the White House. And that real president has done the right thing and extended former President Obama and former First Lady Obama the invitation to come unveil their official White White House portraits. So... uh, a couple of things just to put a bow on this story right here one congratulations to the Obamas this is well deserved and long overdue the portraits look great and they will make an absolutely wonderful addition to all of the other portraits in the White House two fuck you Donald Trump and everything you stand for may your portrait never hang in the White House you treasonous bucket of liquefied dog shit poured into a cheaply made Chinese suit. And we move on. We move on to what I believe is the most significant news to come out of this week, and it has to be the fact that the 14th Amendment was used to remove someone from office over their involvement in the January 6th insurrection, and I think this needs to be used as precedence on others in the immediate future. I now read to you from Reuters. 
a New Mexico County commissioner became the first public official to lose their job for participating in the January 6th, 2020, sorry, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol when a state judge on Tuesday ruled that the Republican violated the U.S. Constitution by engaging in an insurrection. The state district court judge, Francis Matthew, wrote in his decision that Otero County Commissioner Coy Griffin, founder of a group called Cowboys for Trump, violated Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution when he took part in a riot that left four people dead and 100 police officers injured, disqualifying him from holding local, state, or federal office ever again. On January 6th, Griffin joined thousands of people at the Capitol. He breached security barriers barriers outside of the building and eventually assumed a leadership role in the mob and egged on the violence. Griffin, quote, incited, encouraged, and helped normalize the violence, Judge Matthew wrote. Griffin's actions were, quote, overt acts in support of the insurrection, end quote. Griffin is the first elected official to be removed from office for their involvement in the riot. The ruling also marks the first time a judge has ruled that the incident was, in fact, an insurrection, and the first time since 1869 that a judge has removed a public official under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Quote, this is a historic win for accountability for the January 6th insurrection and the efforts to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power in the United States, said Noah Bookbinder, the president of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, otherwise known as CREW, an ethics watchdog group that filed a lawsuit against Griffin. Griffin told Reuters that he plans to appeal the ruling, saying Matthew did not have jurisdictional standing to remove him from office. Quote, I was shocked by the response from the court. It's a real disgrace towards our democracy, he said during a brief phone interview. Quote, this is very different, uh, I'm sorry, this is very evident of the tyranny that is rising its head, his words, up in our country. How does that even make sense? It's raising his head. I copied and pasted this article. Jesus Christ, are these fucking people that stupid? Leading up to the January 6th incident, Griffin said his organization helped mobilize the Stop the Steal movement that falsely claimed Donald Trump's election defeat in 2020 was the result of widespread fraud, an assertion rejected by multiple courts, state election officials, and members of his own administration. Griffin was sentenced in federal court in June to 14 days in jail over his role in the riot two months after he was convicted in a bench trial of a misdemeanor count of entering and remaining on restricted grounds on January 6th. So what does this mean? It means we now have precedents, boys and girls. We now have a judge for the first time actually being on record as calling the events of January 6th an insurrection. And we now have Uh, For the first time since the 1860s, an official being removed using uh, uh, the 14th Amendment of the uh, United States Constitution as justification. 
See, if you participate in an insurrection against the United States government, you are barred from forever holding office. Ever. So while I am tickled fucking pink that this dog shit terrorist piece of crap can never run for office again, he'll appeal. I get it. I think it needs to be used as precedence on a whole lot of other people post-haste. I don't know. How about uh, the people that egged on the uh, the rioters from outside? I'm looking in your direction, Josh Hawley. How about the people who were inside the building that were live-tweeting locations of people that uh, uh, officials were trying to hide? Looking at you, Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. How about the gentleman who incited the whole fucking thing? Looking at you, Trump. How about the senators and members of Congress that were at the rally with Trump firing the crowd up? <clears throat> Wisconsin senator. <clears throat> It doesn't stop with one New Mexico county commissioner. There are a whole bunch of Republicans that were involved in the January 6th insurrection. And every last one of them need to be barred from forever holding office using this precedence in the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. This is a significant ruling for the overall future of January 6th court cases. First things first, to that New Mexico County Commissioner, get fucked, stay fucked. You got what you deserved. And the fact that you held a little phone interview in which you were just shocked. I can't believe you motherfuckers are actually shocked that we would want to defend our democracy. I can't believe you quote-unquote patriots who all claim to carry around a pocket constitution with you everywhere you go are actually appalled that we wouldn't let you overthrow the fucking government. May your ass be the first of many to get barred from ever holding public office again. May it go from one New Mexico county commissioner all the way up to the Mango Mussolini himself. Because all of you motherfuckers are traitors to this country. And while I firmly believe that Trump himself should be hanging from a fucking yard arm in the lawn of the White House as a message to all other candidates for the presidency for centuries to come, we can start by him being forever barred from running for any public office ever again. That's a decent start.
boys and girls, I think the tide is turning in this country on this whole January 6th thing. And I think more and more and more people are seeing the shit coming out through the January 6th Select Committee and through the various trials that are going on across this country that they realize this, this was, this was that big. This was big enough that we're using uh, um, amendments from the Constitution that haven't been used in court since the 1860s. That's how fucking important this is. That's how big this was. You know how when we were growing up, we all learned about Pearl Harbor. That was a huge moment in American history. We all learned about it. Kids of today, they grow up learning about 9-11. It was a huge moment in American history. January 6th will forever be remembered and discussed on that level. This was an attack on our nation. A hundred years from now, if the republic holds, they will be teaching kids in this country about the traitors that went into the Capitol building on January 6th. And hopefully, those class lessons include a whole bunch of conversation about all of the the, the prison sentences and the, uh, the convictions that they all received. How they were all barred from running for office ever again and some of them were sent to prison for their actions. The world is watching how we handle an uprising in our own country. And we got to get this one right. We got to put our, our foot, our boot on the throats of of those that would try this in the future and let them know it will not be tolerated. Boys and girls, that's all I got for you this week. I got a new washing machine that just got delivered this morning. I'm already running my second load of laundry through it. Uh, I'm going to get higher than Eagle Titties tonight and watch some uh, Thursday night football. Tomorrow, you guys will hear this podcast and mark down my football picks sure to go wrong. And somewhere along the line, I'm going to get some shit on Monday for all the picks I got wrong. Welcome to a brand new season of NFL football. Uh, As always, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you tune in next week. For a whole new episode and more football talk about what I got wrong and right this week uh, as well as who the uh, winners of next week's game are going to be. I'm going to do this every week for you guys throughout the football season uh, to the best of my ability. Uh, on the uh, in the off weeks in between when I'm doing uh, Patreon podcast, I will try to give you the Thursday picks over there because that podcast comes out on Tuesdays, Wednesdays at the latest. If there's any graphic designers that want to volunteer some work, I'm looking for a Taco Tuesdays with Tom logo to go over to that podcast. That would be cool. I'd like to put that on some merch. Let me know. Shoot me an email. And uh, in the meantime, until next week, as always, stay grateful.